The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat rocker, rocker, rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise all. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your faith. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. We use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Tuesday morning. I've got a great show for you, and uh, if you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down on the right side of the page, and you'll see that we are live in this, the video that's going there. That's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Just enlarge that, blow it up on your TV, your computer, or your, your tablet, your phone, whatever device you got there. And join us in that. And then also click on the, the icon of the um, uh, the platform that we're on. And then take and join us in the chat. we got a lot of friends there in the chat this morning. It's good to see all of you. And, uh, yeah, I, I know some of you are excited to, to meet my pastor this morning. And 
Uh, I think he. I think he's excited to be up early this morning and spend time with us. Uh, he's definitely wide awake, and we're going to get to him in just a minute. Right above that is normally where Bradley's show is. I filled in for him yesterday, so you can still watch that if you want to watch that. Yeah, that's at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Right above that is where you can subscribe to the newsletter. Now, we don't rent your email, sell it, or spam it. And we you get one email a day, including the morning show archive. So all the stuff we're going to talk about this morning, all that will be linked up in the uh, in the archive later this morning. You can also catch this live feed on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. And then also... On Roku, we're on Cutting Edge TV on Roku, so be sure to check those out and give some support over there uh, to those outlets as well. Finally, if you agree with our message, we never ask you for money. We tell you we have needs. Obviously, it costs money to do all that we do, uh, whether it's on the Internet, whether it is on radio, or whether it is out among the people. So if you would like to help us in that matter, uh, there is a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us as a, uh, a monthly partner as a son or daughter of liberty. That link is also at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Feel free to click that and set that up. And then our store is available with a lot of stuff in it. And, you know, this week we're highlighting Bradley's testimony, which is the My War comic book. This is illustrated by former DC Comics artist Danny Bulinati, and I got to tell you, it's 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 really great. Let me give you for those of you who are watching. Let me let Bradley tell you a little bit about this. My War, my brand new comic book, which brings you through my life story. Not only does it include my testimonial, but also analogies that apply to all. Easy to understand that even a child could comprehend. My war is my story, my findings, and most importantly, not how bad I was, but how good God is in Jesus Christ, and letting the world see what God can and will do through a fatherless child. Included with the comic book is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, as well as a follow-along test from the five-part documentary, My War. To order, go to YouCanRunInternational.com. That's YouCanRunInternational.com. Or just simply head over to the Sons of Liberty Media and click on the store icon, and you can join it there. But you see all the stuff you get in there. Some, some of you guys have been looking for a constitution and a declaration of independence right there. Okay, And this week, we're offering this comic book um, for 10% off. So when you go in the store and you add this in your cart and you enter the promo code Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-E, you'll get 10% off. This is great to share with maybe somebody who doesn't want to see, you know, cheesy kind of, you know, the cheesy kind of Christian stuff that people put out. It's just subpar. It doesn't look to to exalt the Christ that we worship. And so <laughs> this, is, this is really well done. Uh, anything you see out there as far as a comic book, this is right on par with that. Okay, share it with uh, share it with some young people in your life or some older people in your life who who like this sort of thing, and uh, let them see the work that God has done in Bradley's life. And uh, again, you can get ten percent off with the promo code Bradley through Saturday night at midnight. All right. Okay. All right. There's a couple of things I want <clears throat> to share with you before I bring Pastor uh, Glasser on here, and that is this. You know. Our family was attending a church for many years, a good church. We we didn't leave for any kind of bad reason or something like that. 
And I've had Pastor Michael Ware on from Holly Ridge Presbyterian Church uh, in Blacksburg, South Carolina. And we talked about the fact that when you know God wants to judge nations, he sends them wicked rulers. And so we did a show on that. And, of course, our family started looking at how can we be in a community? Because we were driving 20 or 25 minutes away. Great people, great fellowship there. But we wanted something that was more in the community here. And we had visited Bethany ARP. Now, it stands for Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Pastor Glasser explain some of that in just a minute. But I, I was so surprised to hear that the ARP was a church that was, um, basically its history was rooted in the Scottish Covenanters. Now, some of you may have heard of the Covenanters, some of you may have not. So what I'm going to do is, in the archive, I'm going to have some links to some books that I have, that I've read, uh, that give you some specific Covenanters, their stories. I'm telling you guys, when you read some of the stories of these guys, you're just going to fall in love with them. You're going to cry when they die, and they die valiantly. They die, uh, you know, with the prayer and with prayer and psalms on their lips. It's just incredible. I'm going to give you a couple of those, and then we're going to bring Pastor Glasser on. The first one is Scott's Worthies. Now, I've got a really old copy of this thing, uh, but Scott's Worthies is there. Um, Hunted and Harried. Now, you can pick this up for free on Kindle at Amazon. There is Fair Sunshine. This is probably the best one, in my opinion, uh, to read. It's very easy to read. It's a small book, but uh, several stories by Jacques Purvey's. And then there is <clears throat> Scottish Covenanter Stories, Tales from the Killing Times. There is the Scottish Covenanters uh, video that you can watch. Now, our family's got this on DVD, but this is a really good video, too, um, to educate yourself with. And then there's this guy by the name of Douglas Bond. Now, he is a Scottish historian, but he writes on a lot of different things. You guys have heard me mention John Bunyan and uh, Pilgrim's Progress or Dangerous Journey, which is the big illustrated version for kids. Well, he's got one out. I haven't even gotten to read this yet, The Hobgoblins, okay? But this series right here called uh, The Crown and Covenant Series, this is about the Scottish Covenanters. Now, what he does is he is a uh, historical fiction guy. So he takes real historical events with real historical people, and then he interweaves some fictitious people to kind of give you a vision of what happened, uh, sort of a firsthand kind of event. He's done that, and then the second series is called the Faith and Freedom series. Now, this is the sort of second or third generation down from the Scottish Covenanters who come to America, and they have uh, they have an impact on the uh, founding of America. And he's got a ton of books here. I haven't read one book that he's done, and we read them with our kids, uh, that has not been just phenomenal. And probably the best one that I that I've read is this one here which is The Betrayal, a novel in John Calvin and it's written from the perspective of John Calvin's mortal enemy and I'm not going to spoil the end for you. You just got to read the book and you are moved to tears at the the work of God because it's based on the realities, based on the the true story of what happened to this man who was basically the moral mortal enemy of uh, John Calvin. Now, with that said, um, Ben Glasser, he's not only my pastor, but, uh, you know, he, he has, he was called to Bethany ARP in October, 20, 2017. He was born and raised in the mountains of West Virginia. 
So he's still a good old Southern boy. He's kind of getting close to the North there, but he's a good Southern boy. He really is. And uh, later he served in the U.S. Marine Corps on active duty from 1998 to 2002. Following graduation from the University of Pittsburgh in 2005, he prepared for the ministry at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary and additional coursework at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, completing his studies in the spring of 2009. He previously served as pastor of... Ellisville Presbyterian Church, ARP, in Ellisville, Mississippi, from 2010 to 2017. He and his wife, Brandy, are the proud parents of four children and a Collie Shepherd mix named Lucy, but they've got some chickens, too. They're kind of like... They're kind of like us. Uh, Pastor Glasser is my, my go-to guy for my chickens when I got issues with them. And I want to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, uh, Pastor Benjamin Glasser. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing this morning, Tim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And uh, I've got stuff all over the place. I'm hitting the wrong button there. I'm doing great, and I'm glad that you're up. I'm assuming uh, you got some coffee in you, and you're ready and raring to go. And one of the things one of the things I wanted to do, uh, Pastor, is is let you kind of spin off a little bit of this little introduction and just give people a little flavor of who you are. Sure. Well, as you noted, I was born and raised up in the mountains in West Virginia, grew up in a Christian home, but did not uh, take in uh, that Christian teaching when I was young and uh, lived a a fairly uh, profligate life uh, until the Lord grabbed my heart when I was 22 years old uh, through the preaching of uh, uh, Northern Irish Firebrand, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley. Oh, wow. uh, I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, again, just a testimony to God's blessed providence. Uh, I somehow got listening to a sermon called 60 Minutes to Go, which I highly recommend to your listeners. You can find it on Sermon Audio. And um, got listening to it, and the Holy Spirit used that to to to, to bring me to the Lord. And uh, you know, felt a felt a call to ministry pretty pretty soon after that. And uh, through some various uh, things, uh, the Lord led me into the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in 2008, and I've been glad to be a member and serve in this denomination for the past 13 years. Amen. Amen. All right, now, here's the thing. You're a former Marine, too. So, you know, you and I have had some conversations. I think you said you wanted to sit in on some of the conversations that uh, me and my son-in-law and my boys are going to be having concerning tactical civics and and uh, working in our community, but you're not you're not like unfamiliar with dealing in the community. the The church, the ARP, has been very uh, active with local the local school, the local school board. In fact, the the local school is literally across the street from us, and we have been involved in that. I, I say we, the church has been involved in that long before we came there uh, with the local school. What is what is the participation that you guys have? or that we have as a church. I'm trying to differentiate those things as a church <laughs> with the local schools and stuff, because I think this is very important for people to understand. Right. Well, we engage in whatever opportunities the schools uh, allow for, for us, but we primarily run um, uh, outreach where we uh, the schools allow us to bring kids over to the school uh, through a local organization called Biblical Studies Release Time, and we get an opportunity to share the gospel with the kids um, you know, five days a week uh, through that. We also operate a after-school program called Good News Club, which uh, is a, a more national organization. And also we operate 
and help with an outreach to the middle school uh, here in Clover, where we get an opportunity to meet with kids before school and and speak of Christ and 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 speak of the uh, kind of help them navigate some of the situations and stuff they deal with on a daily basis uh, in the public schools. And that's been something you know that our church has been involved in for generations, really. You know, matter of fact, the school across the street from uh, Bethany Elementary was originally uh, Bethany Academy. It was a school founded in the 19th century that um, uh, kind of became the local community school. And then, you know, once things kind of went the way they did in 20th century, public education kind of became part of the uh, local school district. But uh, that's and, and that's something that's kind of naturally born into the Presbyterian mindset of the importance of, uh, of, of grounding ourselves in uh, not just the teaching of Scripture, but being wise in the ways of, you know, just basic education and bringing an understanding of why it's important to build ourselves up intellectually as much as spiritually in regards to the, the whole picture of, the, uh, of man and his place in, in the world. Okay. Yep. And that's exactly right. And so this is kind of, this is why I wanted to bring you on, not just to introduce the audience to who my pastor is, but also, and, and by the way, uh, for most people, they won't know. Some people have said, you know, I don't know much about Presbyterianism and stuff. Um, the idea is, is really Presbyterianism is built on when Paul talks about uh, the fact that Timothy had hands laid on him by the presbytery. This was by the the elders of the church. And so, you know, Scripture pretty much lays out that the church is governed by by elders, a group of elders. And you go to Acts chapter 15, you see those elders get together. They're the ones who are sorting out the spiritual issues that are there. When you go to the Old Testament, you see the elders. They're the ones who are sitting at the gates. They're the ones who are, are part of the judgments sometimes that come about as well. And so this is very important because Bethany... Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church has a long history and a rich history. I mean, one of the things I want you to do, Pastor, before we kind of launch into this, because I've named this the title of the show, you, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been or something to that effect. And one of the th- first things that we learned as a family when we came in and we sat with you guys, uh, with the elders to be examined there, was this idea of how Bethany started and this incredible story about your first pastor, and would you mind sharing that with the people? Because Lord. Bethany's been around since the 1700s, folks, and it spawned off a number of churches. If you would elaborate on that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, we as a congregation organized in 1797, but we uh, descend from the earliest uh, seceder, and I'll explain that what that word means in a second, but from the earliest seceder, uh, immigrants uh, from Northern Ireland in the 1740s who settled around Philadelphia. And one of the interesting quirks of history is as those seceders were pushed out of Pennsylvania, they came down the Great Wagon Road uh, to what is now South Carolina. And the three counties that uh, border this area, Chester, York, and Lancaster, were directly named from the ring counties around Philadelphia, Lancaster, York, and Chester. And one of the reasons for that is, is because of the early seceder associate 
influence in this area. And so when they came down here and started organizing churches and started building up communities, one of the things that they needed, of course, was a minister. And ministers were hard to come by in uh, those early colonial days. And so it was common for Presbyterian churches, uh, whether whatever flavor of Presbyterian they might have been, to send for ministers in Northern Ireland. And one of the gentlemen that they heard back from was a young man by the name of William Dixon. And William Dixon uh, served as pastor here at Bethany from 1797 to 1831. And there's a fascinating story about how he ended up in this area. As they had sent for him and as they had received correspondence that he was on his way, he was actually pressed uh, and those of you all familiar with the War of 1812 will remember that one of the things that led to the War of 1812 was the impressment of American sailors uh, by the British Navy. And he was somebody that was, uh, you know, kind of fell into this. And so he served on a uh, British ship for almost a year and a half. And of course, uh, they hadn't heard from him here at Bethany, but they waited on him. And uh, in God's providence, he showed up. <laughs> here at Bethany and faithfully served us uh, for uh, those uh, many years. And uh, he's actually buried here in the, ce- in the cemetery at Bethany. And, um, but he, um, he, he was instrumental in uh, founding dozens of churches in this area and bringing the gospel uh, to uh, the many immigrants and the uh, Native American population that still existed in this area at the time. And, you know, one of the things about his background is he studied under a man by the name of John Brown of Haddington. And John Brown of Haddington was uh, a, a, not just a leading um, man of his day, but he was known in Scotland as one of the most clearest and most powerful preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so having a man who studied under someone like John Brown of Haddington be the foundational minister of your church kind of provides a very strong um, start uh, for a congregation. And so we have seen the fruit and this uh, of that uh, throughout the generations here at Bethany. Yeah. And, and this guy that you're talking about, uh, when you talk about pressed, can you explain what exactly what that means to these people, to, to the people who sure. are listening? What, basically, what would happen is that the British Navy, you know, needed men to serve on ship, and you know, it was not an easy life to be on ship, and so they always had problems uh, getting guys to serve. So they would literally come into a port and kidnap uh, men uh, to come and serve on ship. They'd often, um, you know, uh, you know, beat them up and uh, tie them up and get them on ship and. By the time you're a mile, two miles out in sea, you don't really have much of a choice as to what you can do. And so you would just have to be on ship until time either you escaped or somebody purchased your freedom or for whatever reason, they let you go. And, um, you know, we don't have much information exactly how he got out of service. But again, thankfully, uh, in the Lord's providence, he was uh, able to be freed of that and come and serve uh, faithfully. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that was one of the fascinating things that he, he was, you know, pretty much commandeered into that service for so long. And yet the people waited. I was fascinating to learn the history that a lot of our towns here, York and such, 
were, come from the north where these guys came from, these these people who were, you know, the descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, if you will, the, the people I'm mentioning at the yes. first. And so most people in our culture have never heard of the Scottish Covenanters. Uh, whatever they've heard of uh, John Calvin, who wasn't a Scottish Covenanter, but he had a great influence upon them. And, uh, of course, the Geneva Bible coming into uh, the early Americas uh, to influence them. Most people have never heard of the Scottish Covenanters. What kind of impact did they have coming here in the early years? And we're not talking, I want people to understand, we're not talking about uh, the 1700s, you know, founding fathers kind of thing. We're talking about long before that. What kind of impact did they have, Benjamin, about, uh, you know, their influence in the culture and on government and, and the church abroad? Well, probably the most foundational book that was written by a covenanter is Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex. And the thing about Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex, and Lex Rex is Latin uh, for, uh, you know, the, the law is king. And of course, in the 17th century, you know, in the days of divine rights of kings, um, to write a book that said that what the standard of truth is, is not what the king says, but what the law says. And when Rutherford says that, he's you know not talking about some written document somewhere per se, but he's talking about the common rights of man being the foundation of what establishes right and wrong. Now, of course, for Rutherford, he would understand that to be the scriptures of the Old New Testament, that they are the expressed will of the creator of all things. And therefore, all government, all uh, life, whether it be family or the church, should be grounded upon what has been revealed by the Lord. And so for Rutherford, in writing Lex Rex, you know, he established this whole idea that, uh, you know, what binds men together and what uh, establishes government, you know, not just in Scotland, not just in the United States, but anywhere is, again, this understanding of what is truth and what is right and wrong. And while John Locke would kind of secularize this idea and would influence the founders that way, one of the things about Rutherford's concept is that he showed that the uh, way in which men uh, come together and form societies and form governments is that they see, again, that we are not individuals just kind of flying through the air, but uh, we are built up as a nation, as a people. And as a nation and as a people, we then elect, we direct, and we have the authority over those who are in power. You know, a king cannot rule unless his subjects allow him to rule. And that's, of course, one of the things that was going on in the 17th century with Charles I and then later with Charles II and then the Glorious Revolution in 1688 is you see people realizing for the first time, you know, really since the Magna Carta, that they are the ones who have the ability to uh, establish their form of government. And so when you have you know, our founding fathers and the like, what you see is this idea that you know it's not some far off parliament, it's not some far off king who can establish what we believe and how we should operate and what we should do, but as you know our documents say, it's we the people. 
And this is all built out of uh, a Presbyterian and especially a covenanting understanding of our responsibility as citizens to establish uh, not just a form of government, but a way of life that sees a national responsibility uh, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to one another through that. And that's all built out of you know, the, the understanding that we see, for example, in you know, Christ when he uh, lays out the two tables, you know, that in the first table, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second table, love our neighbor as ourself. You know, those kinds of things are not just about, you know, personal interactions, but about, again, how a society understands its responsibilities first to the Lord and then to one another. And so that whole thing, again, is built out of a a covenanter view, not just of man, but again, of the nation and the responsibility of the nation, first of all, to the Lord Jesus, and then to one another out of that kind of, um, you know, that kind of mindset. Okay. So, so let me get this straight. Uh, <laughs> you believe, you, you, you don't believe that Jesus did away with the law and uh, that the law is no longer in effect. Cause I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek cause I sit under you every week. So I'm, we're hearing the law and then we're hearing, we're hearing the gospel of grace. But this is a different thing for some people who will listen. They will say, well, wait a minute. I've been told Old Testament Israel is now modern-day geopolitical Israel, and I've heard the law is done away with, and we have the quote-unquote law of Christ as if that's something different because Christ is the God who gave the law at Sinai. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to understand that. Are you saying the law is still in effect today and that that not only uh, leads up, it drives us to Christ through the gospel, but it's supposed to permeate the society and how we govern one ourselves? Absolutely. And you see this in the way that the Apostle Paul, when he stands in front of civil authorities, will challenge them in their disobedience to the law and show them, you know, for instance, when he sat down with Felix in the book of Acts and is speaking to him, he's not just giving a gospel presentation. That's certainly what he's doing, but he's also challenging Felix to understand his responsibility in his office to the Lord God. And that as long as he remains in violation of his oath of office, if you will, then he will face judgment. And, of course, we see that. And we see the same with Herod uh, earlier on in the book of Acts when he uh, seeks to destroy the church. It's not just because he is trying to silence the gospel that he's eaten by worms, but it is his attacks against the mediatorial reign of Jesus Christ and his right to rule over the nations that leads to his destruction. And of course, you go back and you look at the prophecies, for instance, in Daniel 7 and other places in the Old Testament. You know, Psalm 2, of course, is a a foundational passage, you know, that the kings of the earth are to bow the knee, and if they don't, then they'll receive the rod. And, you know, that that idea that uh, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Nations are responsible to Jesus Christ to heed his commands and to ensure, as we see, for example, in Isaiah 49, 23, that they be foster fathers and nursing mothers to the church. And we see that expanded in Colossians chapter one, 
where, you know, Paul, as he's laying out, uh, again, the, the testimony, he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. They're in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So again, the the thrones, the dominions, principalities, the powers, all these things were created not just through Christ, but for him and for the church through him. And that's an important thing to understand, again, about the responsibilities of a nation. And, you know, to go back a little bit to the covenanters, one of the things about the early covenanters in the United States is that they held that the Constitution was illegitimate because of the First Amendment. And the First Amendment, of course, allows for the freedom of religion. And, you know, the early covenanters uh, and continuing even today uh, in uh, in covenanter circles you know, they hold that because of that, you know, that the U.S. Constitution is atheistic, that it, because it refuses to bow the knee to Christ explicitly, you know, as the you know covenants of yep. the 17th century had done, that therefore, you know, a nation which is not built explicitly on Christ is doomed to failure. And I think we're starting to see some of the fruits of that. Uh, in our culture and in our political society, and as you, you know, as you note, I mean that's pretty radical <laughs> to, to say something like that. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, again, uh, a common thought amongst the covenanters in North America um, in 1780 and and in years following. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people would point and they would say, "Well, okay, well the the U.S. Constitution says." Um, you know, in the year of our Lord. Well, a lot of documents said that. That doesn't make it explicitly Christian. In fact, there are things in there that need to, a lot of things that need to conform to to the Word of God. I've said all along, when I cite the Constitution, I'm holding that up to men who take an oath that say they're going to obey that. And, you know, I've had a friend challenge me and say, well, you know, well, they need the law, the law of God. I'm, I'm for putting the law of God in place. There's no problem with that. Most of our state laws are based upon the law of God. And I'm going to address uh, somebody in the comment section who's asking you, do, do you make animal sacrifices? That's part of the old law. No, that's part of the old covenant. And the, old, the, the, the animal sacrifices and things of that nature are fulfilled in Christ, just as the moral law is fulfilled in Christ. But you don't then how do you explain, and let me get off on a rabbit trail here, how do you explain how to love God and love your neighbor if you're not looking to God's moral law, not his, not the dietary laws, not the ceremonial laws? How do you explain how you love your you know, friend, how you love your neighbor, how you love your wife, how you love God, unless you look back to his law? And the first part of the, tab- the table of that law explains how we love God. The second part, uh, the second six... Uh, the the six commandments of the second table are about how we love one another, our fellow man. And so that is not done away with. Jesus did come to fulfill it, not to abolish it. And he reiterated that same law in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know why people don't don't get that, but it's right there. All the people he talks to, when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, you know, what do I got to do? I've kept all the law. Well, what's he talking about? 
Well, he's not talking about, he's talking about the moral law. He says, outwardly, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm like Paul. I've, I've kept it all. And he's unwilling to deal with his own idolatry of, his, of the stuff he's got and leave it behind and follow Jesus. So I want people to make sure that they understand those things. Now, you know, Pastor, one of the things that, uh, that we see ourselves in, we have this rich heritage that, that starts. And I guess somewhat like Israel, we start to, to slide away from that. It's little things at first, and then it becomes big things. And now we're in a situation where, you know, our country is uh, pushing for, for things to be pushed into our body, um, to trust a tyrannical government. And the Covenanters were those who clearly opposed a tyrannical government. They, they love the government of Christ. In fact... Uh, the whole idea of the covenant was to push the crown rights of King Jesus in every area of life in their sphere of influence. And it should be ours as well as Christians to push the crown rights of King Jesus over everything, over the school board, over uh, the the presidency, over our Congress, over our state governments, our local governments, any of that, that Christ has the preeminence and those people who serve in that position of authority serve as ministers of Christ. I, I recall this, and let me get you to comment on it. This is from Revelation chapter uh, 2, and it says, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's the Lord Jesus. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which are say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne in patience, and hast patience. For, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hast the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, would you say that America started off with a a zeal and a love for God to establish His law within their midst, to let it be their governance, that they might be the city on a hill? When we hear that, that's the words of Christ. He talks about the church being a city on a hill. You know, it's a light that doesn't, you don't take a bushel and put it over there. Has America left its first love? Well, yeah, like I said, from a, a covenanting point of view, you know, we got off on the wrong foot from the beginning because we refused to to bow the knee uh, in our founding documents. But as a society, there's no question that as the Lord blessed us in expansion, in, you know, blessed us um you know, in many other ways that as Israel did in its own way, we got fat and happy and forgot the uh, the reason why that took place. You know, and that's a pretty common problem, uh, you know, with Christians, whether individually or denominationally or nationally, that uh, when things get good, we have a tendency to think that we brought ourselves there and that we built up the own our own mountain. And you know, when Israel did that, the Lord gave them over to their sins. And, you know, Americans are well known for doing things not just better, but bigger. And so our apostasy is bigger and better. 
than we see in Europe, for example. And that's one of the reasons, in, in my mind, why we see the proliferation of false teachers in this age. You know, one of the warnings that God gave to Israel was is that they continued in their sins, that he would give them a famine of the word. That's right. And one of the things about that famine, it wasn't the fact that there's going to be no word spoken, but that they were actually going to be inundated with false prophets. And they gave themselves over to the whores, uh, to use, you know, a, a book of Revelation word and to the harlots of the age. And that's, of course, what you're seeing right now is we're much more willing to listen to false teachers uh, because of the judgment of the Lord. You know, it's one of the mercies that God removes uh, from a people when they continue to engage in open and flagrant sin. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the things, too, about when you think about the nature of some of the problems we see in our day. You know, if you look at Romans 1, Paul is very clear that sodomy and similar sins are not uh, things that bring upon the judgment of God, but that they're actually the result of the judgment of God. Amen. They are a part of the judgment of God yep. upon a culture. So when sodomy starts being promoted, it's because you know there are sins way before that that uh, have brought the judgment of God. And and part of the duty, I think, of the conservative um, Christian church is that we need to be far more focused on our own wickednesses before the Lord. And we need to spend time in uh, fasting and in prayer and in uh, kind of an inward focus about what it is that has brought the Lord's judgment upon us. Because again, it's easy, it'd be easy, it's easy for us to be the Pharisee in Luke 18 and beat our chest and say, thank you, Lord. I'm not like, you know, so-and-so over there, yep. you know, thank you, Lord. I'm not as bad as the Sodomites. But we need to have the humble spirit of the man, the other man in that story, who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know, revival and reformation always begins in the house of the Lord. And that's something, again, the covenanters understood. That's one of the reasons why they established the national covenants in the 17th century. You know, the national covenant of, of 1638 was all about recognizing not just the role that church and state had. You know, that's one of the confusions sometimes that's brought up with the covenanters is that they believed in a mixed kingdom, in a mixing of church and state, when the opposite is actually true. You know, they wanted the state to stay in its lane and the church to stay in its lane. And as long as they were separate in the way that God understood that, then both would flourish. But when they mixed as is what happened when you know the uh, state became over the church, as it is in Anglicanism, then you know you had all kinds of uh, of trouble coming into the church, and that's one of the things that is that led to the founding of the associate uh, part of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church is was the state in Scotland was forcing ministers upon local congregations, and you know in Presbyterianism. We understand that the local church uh, has the right to call their own pastors. Nobody has a right to force Bethany, for example, to have me as their pastor. You know, it, it, you know if, if I would uh, depart from the whole counsel of God, then Bethany has every right to remove me from the pulpit. You know, the presbytery can't say no. You, he's staying there whether you like it or not. And 
you know, that's what really established the associate church was the state telling the local church that they had to have the minister of their, uh, of the state's choosing. And, you know, the Ebenezer Erskine and uh, Ralph Erskine and William Wilson and others there, Moncrief and others uh, left the Church of Scotland in 1733 over that issue, over the freedom of conscience, you know, the, the freedom of liberty in the local church. And, you know, again, the reason why I bring that up in the context of what we're talking about right now is it's, it's important to understand, again, that when we talk about, you know, the Lord Jesus being king over the nations and we talk about the uh, and, and these particular issues, again, the purpose here is so that the gospel is able to go forth. You know, when we pray, for instance, in First Timothy 2, that we would live in a peaceable nation, you know, that, that we pray for the king so that the church would be unmolested in its work is because the main work of the church is the proclamation of the gospel. So if we live under a godly king or a godly president or a godly prime minister, whatever form of government we would happen to have, the benefit then is that the church is freed to go and to proclaim Christ and to reach sinners with the gospel and to go about the work that uh, our our head has called us to do. Okay. All right. Yeah, we've, we've got some questions uh, from, from some people in the uh, in the chat, and I'm trying to answer those as we're going along because, uh, you know, some are new Christians, and uh, we're happy about that. And then other people are unfamiliar with the Scottish Covenanters. These were guys who actually took a stand that was both political and religious, if, if you want to use that term. It, right. it was to say that, that, that God, that Christ is king both over the the church or the kirk and all, also over the state and we understood that too and when we talk about really when i mention our real founding i'm pointing back way before the constitution because it's very clear within many of the states or most of the states that they would appeal to scripture they would cite scripture for why they put a law in place and what the punishment of violating that law was um I did a absolutely. An, yeah, I did an article. You mentioned sodomy. I did an article on that, and I was showing the different laws that were in place. How they would cite Leviticus, and they would say, "Here's the punishment." And I mean, New York that celebrates that now that was a death penalty. You know, right. you, you got put to death for that. South Carolina it was a death penalty. A couple of places, I think maybe two states, it was like 21 years hard labor, which I didn't quite understand that. And we had even founding father Thomas Jefferson saying, oh, we ought to cut genitals off. Well, I don't know that that's really a just punishment for that. I don't know that that solves the problem or that's really a just punishment. But they, but at least they understood sure. it was a crime. It was not a different lifestyle that you chose. It was a crime. We have um, uh, somebody like William Bradford writing in Plymouth, uh, on Plymouth Plantation of a young 16-year-old who was engaged in buggery with all these kinds of animals and – he confessed to it. They killed the animals in front of him, just like the Bible says, and then they killed him. And it was to cause yeah. the people to fear committing the same crimes or the same sins, because John says sin is transgression of the law, that he did. And we've forgotten that, man. We, we want to rehabilitate mm. the criminal who commits the crime worthy of death. We want to rehabilitate them at, the, at taxpayer expense. We want to put them up three hots and a cot kind of thing for how many years that they that you know, corrupt uh, judges say that they ought to be put in instead of dealing with them 
in the way that God says to deal with them. And I think this is part of the of where we've missed both the law and the gospel. We we don't right. have any gospel because we don't have any law. We talk to the law about people. People say the law. What's the law? You don't get anything for the law. You get you know you get put up for the rest of your life, or you you know you don't really face any sort of serious punishment. And so then bringing the gospel to bear to say, well, wait a minute, you're worthy of death and that, they kind of go, what? Nobody's being put to death here. But if they saw that on a, I don't want to say a daily basis, but when somebody committed these kinds of crimes, I think it would have a tremendous impact because the law is to drive us to Christ. It's to drive us to the one who forgives of sin or transgression of the law. And I think that's that's really where America is missing so much. We've lost the idea of law, and we've lost the idea of justice, which our Supreme Court has, you know, justice guards our liberties. If, we do not, if we're not engaged in bringing real justice, how in the world are we going to protect our liberties? Well, absolutely. And that's one of the things about, you know, the way in which the law plays such an important role in the proclamation of the gospel is the way in which it's not just to show punitively, but it's to show that there is danger in violating the law and 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 that the danger that it has on your physical life, if, if you want to put it that way, is incomparable to the danger it has on your spiritual life. And you know, part of the reason why those kinds of, of uh, capital crimes had their capital um, a, a part to them was because of the nature of those violations. You know, the uh, for instance, you know, adultery and sodomy, both being capital crimes in, in, in under God's law, is because what that does, what those particular uh, sins do, is that they destroy the family. Right. They destroy the basic building blocks of God's ordering of culture and society. And so engaging in adultery or sodomy, you know, is flagrantly, you know, sticking your your thumb out to the Lord and 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 destroying the long term. Uh, purpose that he has. And that's another aspect of some of this that is often forgotten is that, you know, with the law, the, 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 the conception is the right ordering of society and the church. And so the violation of the law is destroying society. And, and that's, that's part of why it's so important to have a right view of the law and see again, what God's purpose is uh, with the law. Right, and I, I think that's some of the some of the things that we have forgotten. I definitely see it in the church. You mentioned God uh, sending in false teachers and stuff as part of a judgment, taking a you know a famine of the word. I totally agree with that. I see it all the time on a particular website where you know the idolatry of a previous president is just uh, almost uh, just nauseating. And it's it's a and, and yet they throw in Jesus, they throw in Christianity, and this that and the other. Oh, we got to pray, and this that and the other. But the, but they're engaged in their idolatry. They're they're like the Northern Kingdom. They said, oh, we're we're worshiping God. You know, um, you know, our King has made us. The, you, you spoke on this, I think, Sunday when we were talking about fools. We've we've made these golden images, and this is our God. We're we're just acting like our fathers that came out of Egypt, who made this golden calf and called it Yahweh, and said He's the one who's delivered us. And they engage in all kinds of lawlessness in the midst of it. 
to me, that's where America has come. And that's why the Sons of Liberty were calling people back to repent before the God who delivered us, um, who established us, you know, long ago, hundreds, uh, four or five hundred years ago, as the as the colonies and then as the states. This is the one who blessed us because we acknowledged him in the beginning there. And, and little by little, we moved away from him and we started depending upon ourselves saying, oh, we're greater than everybody else and we're better than everybody else of our own doing. And that's really the problem I think that we face now is we think that we are better because of ourselves rather than because of what God had done through our forefathers in establishing us as a people according to his law. And I, I think that's that's basically what we're getting at, is we had an early, early foundation of Christianity where the people wanted to be a city on the hill. They wanted to see God at work in their lives, in their government, in their communities, all of this, and now we've pretty much lost that. What's the answer? We've got about two minutes. What's the answer for returning to that? Well, the answer, as it always is, is the right preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things about that is it can't just be, you know, as, you know, obviously I'm invested on this being important, but it's not just on the on the Lord's Day morning, you know, on the Sabbath and the proclamation of the word in the worship service. You know, ministers of the gospel have to be much more uh, proactive in going out into the culture and proclaiming Christ and warning the nation about the judgment that's already here. You know, one of the things that we're doing on Wednesday nights is we're starting to read through the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, of course, lived in one of the most wicked eras of uh, the southern kingdom. And, you know, the Lord tells him to go and to preach, preach boldly. Do not be afraid of the consequences of it. Do not worry uh, about, uh, you know, the, the, the things that are going on. Just go preach faithfully, preach strongly, and make sure that, you know, you're not couching your terms. And, you know, that the church, broadly speaking, needs to be engaged in that labor because that's the only hope. That's the only way out of the situation we're in. You know, the scriptures warn us about putting our faith in princes and in the idols of the age. And unfortunately, in conservative circles, especially conservative political circles, that's where we see the focus. We see the focus on men. We see the focus on policies. We see the focus on you know, all of these worldly things, we're the only answer and the only way that we're actually get out of this mess is through Christ Amen. and through the preaching of his truth. Amen. All right, guys, you can find out more about Pastor Glasser in the church there at BethanyARP.org. Uh, Don't miss Bradley this afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. We'll be back with you. Rotten Decor Wednesday, Common Core Diva, Lynn Taylor tomorrow. See ya.